Hey, OG, I think it's time we press record and start a new week of shows. What do you think? I already pressed record. Is that okay? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I can unrecord and then start. Oh, no, 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 no. Because it's time for our Navy Federal shout out to the men and women of our armed forces before we kick off our week. I've got this book, A Thousand and One Things to Love About Military Life, Mm -hmm. that the kind people at Navy Federal sent me. Uh, This is number 364, the level to which military spouses step up and volunteer. Did you know this? According to the Blue Star Family's Military Family Lifestyle Survey 2010, 68% of respondents have volunteered in the last year. 68% military spouses get involved in their community. Even though, like we talked about with retired Colonel Clay Stackhouse last week, many of them know they're not going to stay in that community, that they're probably moving on to a different community at some at some unforeseen time. So on behalf of OG and I and the men and women of Navy Federal, there's a shout out to our armed forces. Let's go stack some Benjamins together, peeps. My plan is sound, mathematically sound. It cannot fail. It's perfect. Three months from now, I will be worth $50,000. Independent for life. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how about this hot, hot real estate market? And where is real estate almost always on fire? New York City, of course. Today. We welcome the newest star of Bravo's reality TV series, Million Dollar Listing New York, Kirsten Jordan. Plus, stock ownership is on the rise. How's your portfolio looking? We'll talk about what you need to know to invest in stocks and more during our headline segment. And later, Elle stands to inherit her dad's 401k. Her advisor wants her to convert it to an IRA, What are the downsides? Plus, because it's World Baking Day, let's all get baked on my trivia. And forget million dollar listing. Now, two guys who would love to land a thousand dollar listing someday. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. If we can get it for a thousand and it's worth a million, deep value. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deep Value Real Estate Podcast for the win. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money. It should actually be Deep Value Real Estate for the Win Podcast, but it's Monday morning, so who cares? I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and we are kicking off another week of shows. A little sleepy, a little weekendy, and across the card table, the guy that I guess is going to have to carry it because my mouth's not working today, Mr. OG. Um, how is me guessing that I have to carry it any different than the previous 1,050 shows? <laughs> Has anybody listened to the show yet? Yeah. There's the talent, and then there's the, you know. <laughs> the other guy. The other guy. And the other guy is not the same as OG. No. Uh, Kirsten Jordan is here. Upstairs talking to mom. She is the brand new star on 
Million Dollar Listing, New York. You watch Million Dollar Listing? I do have it on from time to time. It's like a Sunday Sunday morning show that you can throw on and have some coffee I just and, love it. and watch. Yeah. Yes. Watch these people argue with each other. Also, the high-end real estate market. It is so impressive. The numbers that get tossed around in that show. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, go, oh, we're going to list this uh, condo. It's two bedrooms. It also has a pool and a jacuzzi somewhere. We don't know where. Uh, for seven point eight million. You're like, what the hell? And, and by the Ooh. way, the owner's mad. Yeah, because it should be worth nine point one. He thinks it's worth nine point one. Yeah, yeah. You can't list it that. Meanwhile, low. they're all driving around in Bentleys and anyway. Right. It is. It is crazy. We're going to talk to her. Doug talked about how uh, New York real estate's been hot, but as you know, it really wasn't for a while. Yeah. Lots of people heading upstate and down and all sorts of yeah. places out of Manhattan. So we'll talk to Kirsten Jordan about all that, about how to get your house ready, about negotiations. Uh, I'm sure knowing a little bit about her, it's going to be a lot of fun. We got a couple of great headlines, but first, before any of that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kirsten Jordan waiting in the wings from Million Dollar Listing New York. So let's get on with our headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News, the publication where uh, financial advisors, insurance people, people working in the finance industry kind of gather. It's an industry rag. And uh, it seems to me, OG, that this is probably a moment going on. We got the Uber nerds fighting against each other right now. Uh, This is a piece written by Nicole Kasperson. Riskalyze tears into Orion's hidden levers over predictive modeling. The competitive atmosphere among advisor tech just got a little thicker after Riskalyze launched a highly publicized campaign last Tuesday claiming the risk methodologies used by competitors are inaccurate and lack fiduciary responsibilities. Holy cow. Riskalyze co-founder and CEO Aaron Klein countered competitors' hidden levers, which Orion purchased in March, and RI Extrema, Extrema? Predictive guesswork models calling it, quote, wildly inaccurate compared with the Riskalyze approach of a historical data model, according to 
a post via Riskalyze's website. Here's the quote, OG. Advisors should beware. There are two very different approaches to risk analysis and stress testing, Klein said. Riskalyze leverages a historical data model and calculates a historical range to illustrate risk and support client behavior. Let's dive into what's going on as the nerds call other nerds nerds. Uh, let's start off with with this. What do these programs even do for advisors, OG? Because a lot of people, you know, we go pick a couple stocks or we throw darts at our 401k. We look at the recent returns to see what looks good. Well, I think that's the biggest thing is the last part that you just talked about. And I always challenge anybody when you're when you're looking at your 401k, let's say, and you look at all the available options, how do you sort those options? You, you don't sort them alphabetically. Everybody clicks on the return tab because that's the data that's presented. It's presented as the one-year return, the five-year return, the 10-year lifetime, whatever. And you start sorting by those tabs and you wait and see if there's some names that look familiar on the top of the, each one of those tabs. And you go, eh, this must be the good one. What Riskalyze does and what Hidden Levers does and, and any other sort of uh, uh, tool like this, technology tool, is it just helps quantify the volatility in your portfolio. And how we use it is to illustrate to clients the range of acceptable returns. You know, so, so you know that the stock market went down 34% last year from the top in February through the bottom in early March with COVID. And then it went up a whole bunch. So the question is, was that normal? Was it within bounds, so to speak? Or, or was it some sort of abnormal return? And what we use Riskalyze for in our business is to kind of illustrate from a, from a portfolio standpoint, here's what you should reasonably expect the ups and flows to be, the ups and downs, or sort of, you know, the roller coaster ride. Here's what we think with a pretty high degree of certainty. So it goes out two standard deviations to 95%. So it's a 95% confidence that over a period of time, this is going to be your range. And it's a really wide range. But it also helps us when those bounds are broken to go, how likely is this to happen again? You know, if, if, if the range of returns for your portfolio is minus 15 to plus 15, and you got a minus 20, something's probably off with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's either a very random occurrence, so the likelihood of it happening again is pretty low, or there's something in there that we weren't quite capturing correctly. So that's how we use it. I know uh, Riskalyze very well. We were early adopters of Riskalyze, you know, probably almost eight years ago when they started, nine years ago, and uh, and have also used hidden levers. But they use different methodologies, and I think that's what uh, what uh, Aaron's talking about here is. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Uh, I mean, obviously you're you're using one now and not the other, so I suppose that's a dumb question. But mm-hmm. what's the difference? What's he pointing out? I mean, so we've got two different methods. Isn't it better to have two methods of looking at risk than than one? Yeah. Uh, that's why we used both for a while was actually the, the, the client outputs were way better in hidden levers, I thought, than in risk. Meaning, meaning it made people look like they were going to be successful more often? No, like the pretty pictures looked better. Oh, You yeah, know, like yeah, the yeah. deliverable. Like there's just, it's like, hey, this is the thing I looked at to evaluate your, your stuff and look at this pie chart. It looks pretty. Makes it easier for people to understand it because they can tell by the graphics, yeah. right? What Riskalyze does is it takes real life returns that have already happened 
and then assigns standard deviations to those based on previous history. What Hidden Levers allows you to do is to select certain events that you think might happen in the future. And then their algorithm goes through and says, well, we think this is how it's going to affect portfolios. So for example, you could say, I think that there's going to be a terrorist attack. So what would happen to my portfolio? I think that there's going to be really high inflation. I think that growth is going to do, you know, I think the stock market's going to do really well. I think, you know, so you can put all those things in there to see the impact of your, of, of those events on your portfolio. On a black, like a black swan event. Yeah, those and or normal events. So sure. not just the crazy ones. But I think what the biggest difference is, is that Riskalyze is using historical data to say this is what's actually happened and not cherry picking periods of time. Because I think their position, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth, but I think their position is we can't predict those weird events. So we're just going to have this range of returns that's likely to happen in all circumstances. Whether it's something really bad that happens or something really good that happens, we still think that the historical range is going to be here. Whereas, like you said, you can kind of if you can kind of cherry pick all the good stuff, you might have a a rosier picture that may be necessary. In the finance world, I've seen two different types of arguments. OG, I've seen arguments that are material to the client where we probably need to pay attention to this if I'm the end user of these things or of the advisor's output. And there's, you know, one is 98% correct and the other one is 99% correct. So it's just nerds throwing bombs at each other. Is this something that we should be paying attention to? We should, we should ask our advisor, Hey, how, how are you, you stress testing my portfolio? Uh, I don't think so at all because take this from the advisor perspective if you are providing great advice to your clients, then that advice is, is rounded out with realistic scenarios and also conservative scenarios. You know, not all pie in the sky, super awesome, cherry type outcomes to make it look good. If you're using your financial planning as a sales tool to pitch something like, hey, look how great I am, or look how great this investment strategy that I'm recommending you is, then I think you're doing it incorrectly. The way that we wrap our heads around this is we have our expectations from our investment policy statement. So we separate those two decisions. We say, let's let's build an investment policy statement, and we have investment expectations based on historical data and so on and so forth. But then from a planning standpoint, we're going to assume that the plan is a little bit more conservative than that. So if I was looking at you and Cheryl, for example, I might say, our expectations, Joe, with an all-equity portfolio is that your account should grow at 9 to 12% a year. That would be my expectation. But in our plan, we're going to use 6.5 because that's just prudent planning. So I don't think that it matters what that is. But when you're talking about kind of guiding and leading other people from the advisor's perspective, it is important to help manage that behavior as best as you can, or at least remind people around, here's what is normal. Here's what would be expected. And the other side is also true. When, you know, we always think about the downside as being the unexpected thing. Like, oh my gosh, my portfolio is down 34%. Is that good or bad? No, that's expected. You're all stock. Stock market down 34%. That would be expected. But the other side is true too. What happens when you look at your account right now and it's up 71%? That's not expected. 
That's that's that that's one of those black swan events, but it's a really good black swan event. So we have to do a good job of explaining that as well. Well, I do like having those conversations. And if you have not had that conversation either with an advisor or or just with your whoever you're planning with, like if you think through these historical times when the market went down and how would I have felt, I think um I think running yourself through that stress test is a good thing. Well, yeah, that's the point of it is to recognize that you can design an investment policy statement that's good for you. And also you can set up the rules in advance. The biggest thing with investments is your behavior. It's not picking the right funds. It's not picking the right time to invest in the right funds. It's not mutual funds versus ETFs or my expense ratio is better than yours. So therefore I'm like, none of that matters. What matters is when your portfolio hits a wall at a hundred miles an hour, like what do you do with that information? And you can see it. If you need a better example than the last 18 months or 15 months, I can't give it to you because there, I guarantee there are still people and people that are listening to this that are in cash right now. They either went in cash in March or April last year, or they went in cash around the election or both, right? And are hanging out going, yeah, I just, I'm just waiting, just, just waiting things out. Like, what do you need to wait out? The market's up double since this time last year. And you know the market's people. up du- the market's up double digits, not double. The market's up double. Small caps are up 110 percent since since last year. It's you know the Dow, just as a for instance, a year ago, a little over a year ago, bottoms out at like eighteen, nineteen thousand. Today, it's at thirty four, thirty five thousand, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, thirty four one. Can I take some liberties and call that doubling? Like it's kind of close. Like it's maybe okay. It's not exactly. My point is is that. If you knew going into it what the outcomes are likely to be, you can design from an investment standpoint your own investment strategy, your own investment policy statement. So you can say, this is out of bounds for me. You know, minus 20, I'm out. So just build an investment plan that doesn't go down minus 20. You go, well, that's easy to say. No, it's, you know, but you can do that. You can build, you can put in the stuff that has a high likelihood of not doing those things that are going to scare you out of the market and in the long run, that's the better outcome. You stay invested and you stay committed to your plan. Well, and, and that brings up that there's two different stress tests here. These guys are talking about the stress test of what your money's going to do. But there's also the stress test that you're referring to, which is around your emotions. Yeah, I mean, basically, they're, both of those tools are designed to have that conversation with clients. It's designed to say, you know, Joe, with the way your money's invested right now, your volatility is plus or minus 40%. You've got a million dollars. Would you be okay if in six months from now it was at 600,000? Like, what would you do along the way? Because we don't think in terms of percentages. We, you know, we go, oh, plus or minus 30, yeah, whatever. Now I say it's 400,000. You go, wait a second. (laughs) I don't want to do that. So we use it as a way to kind of lay out the game that the client wants to play, so to speak, so that they can't violate any of their own rules. Therefore, they're going to be successful. Kind of eliminate the opportunity to screw up. That's the idea. Prevent mistakes. So many takeaways there. And and we'll talk about takeaways in a minute, but I love the idea of an investment policy statement. Love the idea of stress testing. Love the idea that there's two different ones. Hey, it is time for our TikTok minute because it's Monday and that's what we do. You're welcome. America, the world, you're welcome. That's what we do. Halfway through our headline segment, we go dig for another TikTok video. 
a TikToker. And with all of the Dogecoin run-up over the last few weeks and then the fall, here was a interview that made its way to TikTok with a guy who took his uh, life savings and YOLO'd it. So you took $180,000, right? Correct. This was your life savings. You sold stocks, you borrowed money on margin, you maxed out your credit cards, and you just YOLO'd all that money into Dogecoin. Correct. Why though? Because <laughs> it's Doge! your Robinhood okay. portfolio. I want to see how much your Dogecoin is worth right now. Right this second, here you go. It is worth $1.25 million. That is one and a quarter million dollars up from $180,000. And if you go to my actual portfolio, you can pull my position up. Four million, nearly $4 million Doge, average cost of 0.04 cents, and portfolio diversity, 100%. <laughs> they're, they're both laughing. The YOLO dude, of course, is laughing like, isn't that cool? The other guy's laughing like, that is the crazy, wildest, why would you do that kind of, kind of thing. Max out your credit cards, OG. More specifically, why do you keep it? I get swinging at the pitch. Like, I understand that. I understand going, yeah, I got 500 bucks. I'm going to put it all on, you know, green zero. <laughs> like, who knows, right? But then to go, oh my God, I won. You know what I should do? I should keep playing because definitely the casino is not going to win because I'm awesome. Could you imagine last Saturday night, not this last Saturday, but the Saturday before with a $4 million portfolio, hundred percent Dogecoin watching go from 4 million to 2.7 dude loses $1.3 million while a TV shows on I yeah. made closer to 1.2 million, but that pocket change for him. <laughs> just, it's I love, really it a, I love it when I love it when a hundred thousand dollars becomes a rounding error, and that's what he started with. He started with a hundred thousand dollars. Now it's a uh, what's a what's a hundred thousand between. Well, friends? we saw the same stuff with GameStop, and there's two sides of that uh, two sides of the same coin: greed and fear. Some people get get it get lucky and hit it, but they all end up. Everybody ends up in the same spot. Not only buying, by the way, buying in Robinhood because if you're going to YOLO, yeah, yeah might as well YOLO with the trustworthy broker. Should get a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> You're gonna YOLO YOLO with a trustworthy broker. Robin like Hood. Robin Hood. <laughs> Our second headline comes to us from a little publication called the Wall Street Journal. This is written by Gunjan Bunerjee. Gunjan writes: Americans can't get enough of the stock market. Households increase stock holdings to 41% of their total financial assets in April. Americans are all in on the stock market. Individual investors are holding more stocks than ever before as major indices climb to fresh highs. They're also upping the ante by borrowing to magnify their bets or increasingly buying on small dips in the market. Stock holdings amongst U.S. households increased to 41% of their total financial assets in April, the highest level on record. That's according to J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and Federal Reserve data going back to 1952 that includes 401k retirement accounts. A JP Morgan analyst attributed the elevated allocations to appreciating share prices alongside stock purchases. S&P 500, as of the time this was written, OG, 25 new highs this year. Good. Good for everybody. I think it is great. What do you think about 
this betting feeling that you're getting more and more this year from the stock market. Is that a, is that a good thing? You've got, you've got people younger than ever participating and participating in, in much bigger ways. You know, you got a lot of 19 year olds out there with a Robinhood account. My son's 14. He has a trading account. Yeah. And his friends do too, right? Yeah. But my son's too chicken. He can't do it. He's got his money still sitting in cash. He's like, I just don't know what to do. Oh, I'm like index fund, IWM. <laughs> just, Put it in that IVV, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah. I love the participation. I don't like the gamification of it. I love the fact that when we look at over the last year, we made a lot of predictions that uh, you know the stimulus money would be all of TVs and and vacations and stuff like that, and statistically that didn't happen, which is really good. Like I'm super excited that the vast majority of people did the right thing. You know, as a as a country, we paid down our consumer debt, which is awesome. We have uh, equity in our homes and are not blowing that up yet. There's it'll come. It's coming. I'm sure. You know, but we haven't. You know, maxed out our HELOCs yet. You know, Fidelity study a couple of weeks ago about all time high of 401k participation and. All that sort of stuff is is really good. Now there's byproducts to that. People are talking about inflation and you know that sort of stuff, and and that may happen. But um, it can't be a bad thing to pay off your debt and invest money. What I'm hoping is that it's not a flash in the pan. I'm hoping that when those people, those new entrants in the market, are participating, they're participating for the right reasons and for the right length of time. I, I'm indifferent on what you want to buy. If you want to buy individual stocks and load up a portfolio of John Deere and tech stocks, that's cool with me. Or if you want to buy ETFs or mutual funds, that's fine too. But I'm hoping that you're buying them with the intent of holding them. You know, if you're 19, go, hey, I can buy this ETF or this mutual fund or this stock and pretty much hold this until I'm 70 years old and add to positions as opposed to turning it into a game and like trading it. And, you know, because we see the negative consequences of that. You know, when you go, I made 40 grand, but I got to pay 800,000 in taxes type of thing. Yeah, I don't like this if you're dealing with real money and you're gamifying your finances. But for, you know, you're talking about 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds. To have a 20-year-old lose a couple hundred bucks and learn some valuable lessons about how the market works and how the market's not your friend, uh, you, you should be, you should invest. Mm-hmm. You should stay invested, but you should always be wary, I think is an important lesson. If you can learn that for a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks at a young age, how great is that? Because imagine imagine how seasoned these investors are going to be when they hit their 30s. Sure. But the other side of that that also could happen is if we have the next correction, whether that's a 10%, which we kind of did, a 10% correction, or if we have another recession, when we have another recession, and let's call that minus 20, that could easily scare that whole tranche of people out of the market and turn a whole generation of people into, yeah, we don't invest in stocks, it's too risky. Like the old generation of, of people that went through the depression and some people who went through the recession, you know, the in, in 2008, 2009, like stocks are too risky. But back to our first article when we were talking about like, how do you measure that? I think that's why you got to have an investment policy statement. That's why you have to have the rules around your decision-making and you make those rules when you're calm, you don't make, you don't, you don't pull the rules, the the checklist as the planes on fire and start making up the decisions. You've already thought through the checklist that you're going to do. 
long before something goes wrong. So Yeah, but do you think that participation, though, on a small level helps that? In other words, you make a mistake and you correct versus just using play money. You're, you're using real money and you make a mistake and you look back and you go, okay, what should I have done? I mean, to your point, some people that will scare them away, they'll learn the wrong lesson. People do that all the time. But I think for a lot of people, I still think having real money there and making a mistake is a great way to reset, recalibrate and fix the machine. 100%. Yep. In just a second, OG and I are going to have our takeaways from today's discussion. Great discussions today. But before we do that, this month is Military Appreciation Month. Not only have we made it our mission to share on our social media pages about Military Appreciation Month, but so has Navy Federal Credit Union. We made it our mission this month. It's been their mission to help military members for over 85 years. During Military Appreciation Month, they want to celebrate the commitment that connects them to their military members. Nothing better than knowing that you've got an institution like Navy Federal at your back, whether you're my nephew, Colin, who's on a sub somewhere as we speak, my dad, who is a Vietnam veteran, my dad's best friend, Jim, also a Vietnam veteran, or my brother-in-law, who's a Marine. Navy Federal is this tie that binds them all and uh, makes it easy to get your money management done by a firm that knows some of the things that military members go through. Many of the employees, by the way, military family members, reservists, or veterans themselves, and they offer resources like best cities after service. Where do you want to go once you uh, transition out? That's fantastic. And by the way, best careers after service. Those resources and more help veterans transition to civilian life, something that you definitely want to think about uh, well before you're ready to transition. Anybody who's gone through that time knows that you want to have your ducks in a row when you're ready to make that transition. They have 24-7 customer service and support, so they're here for you whenever you need them. Visit NavyFederal.org forward slash celebrate. It's NavyFederal.org forward slash celebrate to check out member exclusives during Military Appreciation Month or share your own shout out with hashtag Mission Military Thanks. And if you also tag Navy Federal, I'm sure they'll amplify uh, lots of the shout outs out there. Navy Federal Credit Union, insured by NCUA. All right, OG, lot to talk about. YOLOing your way to 4 million bucks, higher than ever participation in the stock market, finance nerds yelling at each other about risk. Where's the biggest takeaway? I think the biggest message is you can use all the tools in the universe to help your financial independence. You can use technology. You can use all these other sorts of things, but you still have to do it. You know, you can't technology your way into it. You have to, you have to participate. You have to do the stuff and then follow the thing that you said you're going to do. If you use a tool, a tech tool to help kind of design a model allocation for you or to help understand your tolerance for variability perfectly fine, but then do the thing that's next, you know, then implement that plan and stick with it. Whenever you want to do something well, the first thing you do is you go out and look for somebody who is already 
doing that. And Kirsten Jordan, when it comes to real estate and business ownership, is someone that we should be talking to because not only is she a mother of three and also someone who has broken some sporting records. I bet we'll talk to her about that. She's been successful all of her life at the things that she sets out to do. And in a real estate market like this one, I think it's important for us to talk about how do you negotiate a hot real estate market? How do you negotiate with other people? How do you get your house ready to sell in a competitive environment? Not not because of the fact that you don't think your house is going to sell. I think it's fairly easy to sell a house now, but how do I get the most out of that sale? That's why we want to talk to Kirsten Jordan. But along with that, she also is the newest star on Bravo's hit series. Ninth season just started up of Million Dollar Listing New York. Of course, we have to talk to her a little bit about behind the scenes there, just because as a guy that loves watching those shows, OG, I love hearing about how the sausage gets made, right? How do they put this stuff together? So if you're somebody creative, we're going to cover that. If you're somebody who is looking at business and how to be better in business, we'll ask her about that. And of course, we're going to ask her about real estate. Let's say hi to Kirsten Jordan. And here she is coming down the stairs to the basement, our new friend, Kirsten Jordan. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, so so do you sell basement properties? Because mom continually talks about getting us out of here. And I don't know if this is worth selling, Kirsten. What do you think? Definitely selling below grade space is what we call it, is something that I have definitely done before. So I I don't shy away from anything. I love that phrase, below grade space, because that could be a double entendre in our case. I know, I know. (laughs) Well, what took you so long to get to million dollar listing? You know, we're going to play a clip in a little bit, but they talk about the boys club is finally broken up. What took you so long to get there? Honestly, I think I was probably preparing my entire career and having children and just sticking it out in this business so that when million dollar listing came calling, it was like, I am the perfect person for this role. How did that happen? By the way, we talked to Ryan about his his kind of circuitous journey getting on the million dollar listing. Um, yours must have been as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you know, somebody reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in the season. I went for it and went through the whole casting process, and it just happened. It was just very, very serendipitous. It happened in a moment when I was ready to take my career to the next level. I was like, what am I going to have to do to take my career to the next level? I've been doing this business for 12 years. I'm at a place where I'm happy with what I do, but I'm not at that level that I expected to be at this point in my career. And so when it came to me, it just was like, this is this is the right thing for me to try out for. And I think they're going to pick me. Is it tougher than you thought it would be? 100%. How come? Um, well, I'm a super naive person. I'm very not only am I naive, but I'm also very impulsive. And so the idea of doing this was like, this is what it will take me to get where I want to be. And then you're like, oh, there's a whole lot of other stuff that just comes with this that I hadn't even expected. What are some of those things? As the first female, uh, there was never a precedent for somebody who really had to care at the level I do about wardrobe, hair and makeup. Um, It's a huge, huge part of making sure that I'm presentable. Clearly, 
being presentable in a normal day life is something that I've always cared about. That's why I'm here. You know, I, I always pull myself together nicely every morning, but it's a different level learning how to put on makeup and look good on camera during the whole COVID period. And then rolling out of COVID because then you weren't getting your makeup done anyway, was definitely a huge challenge. And then I actually even had to work through the whole process of working with a stylist, realizing that wasn't going to work. And then, you know, referring back to a personal shopper that I'd worked with for years at Saks to just be able to make sure that I have the right wardrobe because it's a, that's an exhausting process. When you're showing apartments every day, you can throw on a, you know, navy blue blazer like I have right now and just walk out the door, have your hair done nicely, put on some mascara and that's not TV ready. Can I talk about personal shoppers for a second? Because there's a segment of our audience, incredibly frugal that says, you know, I'd never have a personal shopper. I had a Nordstrom personal shopper for a while when I was a financial planner. I will tell you, Linda Sue is her name and she saved me so much money, Kirsten. She saved me so much money and she saved me so much time. I would come home and my friends and my family said, I look better then than at any point in my life. It was, it was amazing how I could spend money to make more money. I could not agree more. I honestly would like to have a chapter of my book just dedicated to trying to find somebody who's at a department store that can help you so that you make the right purchases and the right investments in your clothing and that it will carry you so far. Because the amount of time that people spend in their closet trying to figure out what to wear for important appointments is, I would say, completely undervalued. And when I really started to get serious about using a personal shopper, getting the right outfits together and coming up with a real uniform and having pictures of the, of the outfits that I need to wear. And granted, as a woman, it's really hard. You need to have really different looks that go day to night. You need to have things that are rich, but not too rich, sophisticated, but not over the top for certain clients. You're dressing for the room. I, I just can't even describe how much it's helped me feel more confident and also save a lot of time and money as exactly as you were saying. I feel like you do the same thing in real estate, right? I mean, there's a similar presentation, the way you present, you're like a personal shopper of real estate to people. Mm -hmm. I think where you're fitting the right person with the right piece of real estate, but what's important there now, Kirsten, because you know, we've talked to many real estate people on the show before, and it used to seem like staging your property was important, reflecting the the biggest characteristics that are going to make it sell, minimizing the downside. But real estate's been so hot lately. Does any of that matter anymore? Is it worth staging the property, spending that extra money so the place looks the part? I mean, there's always a gain from staging, in my opinion. I think that you can always make a place feel better. You can always up the value. You can always get to that next level. And you will either help with the velocity of the sale or it's going to help you in the price. And the velocity in certain situations is just as important as price because let's be honest, time is money. And showing a property every weekend when you've got three kids running around that you have to tidy up for is a huge pain. Or if you just work from home like everybody else right now and have to leave the house so that they can show. Yeah. It's interesting. When you talk about velocity of the sale though, you've seen this much more than I have. Velocity has been very quick lately. More, more people with over asking price, all cash offers, right? Waiving the inspection, which that, that one, I can't believe. Are you saying people make huge mistakes in this market? Well, 
in Manhattan, we haven't shifted completely into a seller's market yet, you know, and I do specialize in Manhattan. So what I can speak to in the city is this idea of waiving a financing contingency, which most of the time is actually not that big of a deal because of the fact that most banks can get into a very, very good place before you sign a contract to make you feel comfortable signing without a financing contingency. There's always that little bit of risk, but it's really, really very small. What's a financing contingency for people that don't know that phrase? A financing contingency is where you say, if I can't get financing for your property, I can back out of the contract Uh, and get all my money back. Yeah. And so in New York, that is the equivalent of the inspection contingency. And so you're saying that's not a big deal because money is free flowing right now? Money's free flowing. There's a lot of banks who are able to finance these properties. So you can usually find more than one bank who's willing to put themselves on the line to finance the property. And you can usually do a lot of the due diligence about the property in a couple of days before you have a chance to sign that contract. You talk about um, on the seller side, the importance of still staging, even in this type of market. What about on the buyer side? Do people get sucked into these emotional buying decisions versus making a, a really good real estate purchase? I have a hard time finding real estate purchases that are not emotional, especially in residential real estate. I think that even if it's emotional because you are buying that property because you think that's the best you can afford and it's the only one that makes you feel halfway decent about yourself, even though it's the only one that you can afford, that's an emotional response and that's an emotional purchase. So you know, to pretend that there's no emotion in it, I think it's hilarious because even the finance guys who come to see apartments and we show them a hundred apartments and they say, oh, I can't make my spreadsheet work on this one. I can't make my spreadsheet work here. And then all of a sudden they find an apartment that they love or that their wife is like hell bent on getting and they can figure out a way to make that spreadsheet work. So <laughs> if that's not emotions, I don't know what is. Is, is that a key that is just realizing it's going to be an emotional decision and making sure that it somehow still works in your spreadsheet? Yeah, like somehow you don't really, really overpay. That's really the objective. Yeah, yeah. Is there something in the negotiation that people get wrong? Because I feel like that's a key part of this entire process. You find that beautiful house, the place you want to live. Where do people nail it and screw it up in negotiation land? Well, negotiations aren't just about price. And I think that's where a lot of real estate transactions come to negotiation life which is that it's not always like I'll pay 10 and they'll pay nine. And so I'm going to get it for 10. It's like, well, I'll pay 10, but I'm the hugest pain that you've ever met in your life. And I'm going to make this closing something you'll never forget because I'm terrible. Or it's, hey, you know, we're going to pay nine, but it's cash and we are ready to close immediately. We're going to waive, you know, half of the inspection contingencies or we have an inspector that's ready to go today who can inspect the property and give us a report by tomorrow. So we're ready to go. And the broker on the other side is my favorite person ever. And I'm ready to do, you know, the next seven deals in my life with them. And as a broker, everybody thinks we want to get the higher price because of the fact that like we want that extra $50 of commission. That's not true. All of us brokers, time is money. Getting the deal done is paramount. Making sure both sides are as happy as possible, but the side that we represent is the happiest is is our number one goal. And that's basically how we operate. So yeah, it's not just about making sure that the numbers are the highest. It's about making sure that it's the best deal. I've also watched enough million dollar listing, Kirsten, to know that it's also about referrals, right? I mean, I mean, people in that, there's so many players besides these two people that are involved. And when these other professionals see how you work and they like you, they're likely to then refer you to other people. Oh, I mean, yeah, our business is all referrals. And 
business creates business in my business. As much as I network from day to night and I have all this press that I'm doing and million dollar listing and whatever, but it's the deals that give me the more business and the deals. Yes, I can pitch, you know, even even buildings, even even new development. Developers, yeah, they call you, but they're calling you because they know from another developer that you didn't mess up. Uh, let's talk to people that are new in real estate. For people maybe just beginning their career, it's a tough field, as you know, to break into. What's some advice you give to new people just starting out? Number one advice from my perspective, and it's not very easy to hear, is that you need to get over the archaic rainbows and butterflies concept of a mentor. I think everybody thinks that they're going to find like this teddy bear mentor who's going to like walk them through every deal and they're going to pat them on the back and they're going to like show them under the the hood exactly what they're doing and and every single little thing. And then they're going to like give you all this feedback and make you this amazing broker. Frankly, I don't know where you're going to find that person and where that person would be doing enough deals that you even want to follow them around and figure out what they're doing. But if you are able to be present and be part of transactions, more than one transaction during your first year of real estate, and that person doesn't like make you feel like crap, you're winning. It's very hard to find people who are good at what they do and also mentor. I think what I've learned from having a team is that being a mentor takes so much more time than you'd ever, ever think. And even just having people on your team that aren't already completely established in their career in real estate is a big commitment. So there's a huge expectation on these mentors. And I think that this whole expectation, just people need to give it up. You need to be ready to be excited to be part of the transactions, to be learning what you can, but you need to be prepared to also be really, really freaking useful so that this mentor can get something out of having you around. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to be a mentee for very long. Wow. So for me to kind of parse that, are you saying find a mentor, but ask to give more than to receive? Exactly. If you want a good mentor, you better be ready to hustle and you better be ready to put in your hours and you better be ready to say, how can I help before someone even says to jump? It's not even like how high it's like, how can I help you before tomorrow even starts? Because right now for the brokers who really are the big brokers, they have a line out the door because they're printing money. They've been doing it for a long, long time. You really need to provide value. And that's how you're going to get into bed with them as far as being there to see what's going on to learn. You are multilingual and athletic. How much do those two things help you in your day-to-day activity? Being multilingual, I think, was something that was actually just a huge ego stroke for me. I really, really worked really hard to learn Italian. I lived in Italy for a couple of years. It was something that I really, really wanted to do. And when I was proficient in Italian and continued to improve my Italian, it's something that just made me feel like, wow, I did that one thing that I said I was going to do and I really wanted to do. That also gave me this framework for saying, if you really want to do something and you start late in life, because I learned started learning Italian in my early 20s you can still do it and you can be really, really good at it. And there's nothing that can say like, oh, if you didn't learn Italian as a kid, you're not going to be good. So that was a huge thing for me. And that gave me this, this kind of extra level of confidence. And then up until joining Million Dollar Listing, my other main thing that made me always look back on myself and realize that I could do whatever I want, which is that I was the national champion of the race walk in high school, which it was an all American level of competition to be the number one. I wasn't just like the number one team. I was like the number one human you know, it was, it was a record. It was a top seven, I think in of all time at the time for the mile race walk. And that was another thing where, you know, the coaches and God rest his soul, this incredible coach that I had, he gave me workouts that were 
the right workouts and we did them as a team, but I knew to get to the next level, I had to do more than everybody else. And so I would actually do double workouts five days a week. That's what got me where I needed to go. And you know what? I think that everybody, you know, listens to others in what they should be doing. But if you know you need to do more than other people, you need to do more. Everybody knows in their soul that it's really going to take them to get where they need to be. And that's what I learned from that experience was I knew what it was going to take. And so I did it. And that's how I was. I want to spend our last few minutes together talking about the season just a little bit. And to kick that off, let's play a little trailer. This is the trailer for season nine of Million Dollar Listing New York. This season on Million Dollar Listing New York. This is like Flamingo Paradise. This is prime Upper West Side. Babe Ruth lived here. Babe Ruth lived here? We sell this like a piece of art. Okay. I'm super excited to sell Mark Jacobs' house. It's going to be priced somewhere between 10 and 12. I don't care what it is, as long as my people get it for the right number. Kirsten is a power broker. She's tough as nails. We want to make a deal. They've got to come up. Someone's going to have to do work to it. They're just not going to buy it as is. And she, like, runs around Central Park at 4 o'clock in the morning every morning. Like, it's just nuts. You have to slow me down. It's like a photo finish. And, and there you go through Central Park at four o'clock in the morning, according to, exactly. <laughs> according to Ryan. He only knows, Ryan only knows what it's like to be up at four o'clock in the morning because he's the only person awake at four o'clock in the morning. I get up at like a decent hour, like five, five fifteen. So a, I don't know what he's talking a about. A decent hour. You're still ahead of me, Kirsten. How, how long have you known any of these guys or did you know any of the cast before uh, coming to Million Dollar Listing? I knew each one in some capacity. I would say Frederick was the one that I knew the least. Um, we had crossed paths very, very briefly at some point early in my career. Ryan, I knew because he's a friend. Um, he works on one of my husband's projects, which will, I'm sure will be providing us some drama at some point next season. And, and then Tyler and I had crossed paths kind of tangentially and, and they'll talk about, they talk about that in the first episode, as you can already have seen. And then Steve and I did a deal together a couple of years ago for one of his really, really big clients. And it was a rental deal, but we had done that transaction together. So I had overlap with every cast member. And then because of my relationships with the industry and how much business I do, it was very, very easy that we crossed paths during the season. And as you know, overlap is really, really big. And so you're going to see a lot of that. There's a couple discussions in this trailer I want to ask you about. The first one is they talk about different people living in houses, Babe Ruth living in houses, other celebrities living in houses. And then Ryan makes the comment, I sell this like it's a piece of art. Is that what you're doing in Manhattan with these high-end properties? Well, the numbers are clearly the closer to the high-end art numbers than they are close to any other kind of number. So yes, we sell everything like it's a piece of art, even the lower end properties, that's for sure. Because if you think about it, we have our minimum, we have our auction levels. And once you drop pricing to below where we think market value is going to be, it really does become an auction. So, you know, that's kind of almost the objective at this point is seeing how you can get a property to the right level so that then it becomes an auction instead of a negotiation. Is that then we talked earlier about staging? Is that staging? Is that doing some history, having a team member dig through the history of the property? Is it bringing people through ahead of time? What's how do you create that buzz around a property to do that? Well, I mean, right now with the lack of in person parties and all of that, it's a little bit more difficult. Press is a huge piece of really building 
some sort of notoriety for any sort of historical property or any property that has a special celebrity presence or a special art presence or any sort of special architectural presence. PR plays a huge piece there. But then, of course, the imagery that you can get is is another huge piece of all of this is making sure that the imagery really, really pops. You know, when we sold the Rockefeller apartment last year, that was one that was, you know, a very, very historically significant apartment. And while it you know, hadn't been touched significantly since, I mean, I don't even know, like 30 years ago, it still had some really incredible architectural details. There was an incredible terrace. You had beautiful views of New York, of Central Park, which was amazing. And it was putting the story of, you know, Nelson Rockefeller together with imagery, together with the press that I think really helped with that sale. That That is so amazing. And season nine, obviously, is out now. I'm so happy you could take some time out of your busy, busy time to spend with us. Good luck fighting with these people. Kirsten, we're pulling for you. Thanks for hanging out with us in the basement. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Hey, trivia fans, it's me, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. It's about to get wild in here. We're going to get baked. And I mean completely friggin' baked on our crazy holiday calendar. It's World Bacon Day. And so that means brownies galore. And I always get serious, serious cases of munchies on World Baking Day. Nothing like a good toke on the old brownie pipe to get the motor running. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. Before I head off to preheat the oven to 420, let's get to today's trivia question. What Baking-related phrases typically attributed to companies who are playing games with their records. I'll be back with your answer faster than you can get your baking on. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Okay, okay, okay. All right, stick with us. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to an answer in a minute. This episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience my good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. 
Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Stackers, I don't know what's up with Joe's mom, but when I told her I was ready to get baked, she just stared at me like, come on, lady, choppy chop. Those brownies aren't going to stir themselves. I'm feeling extra hungry, if you know what I mean. Speaking of baking, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what baking-related phrase is typically attributed to companies who are playing games with their records? If you answered cooking the books, then you'd be right. Okay. Okay. I mean, okay. All right. The, the, the oven's up to 420, so it's time for me to go cook my books. <laughs> you know, why am I laughing so much? I just, and, and I'm so hungry. I don't get it. Okay, well, you know, I'll see you later. Cooking the books. Nice job, OG. Good work on the trivia. I try. Hey, uh, thanks to Kirsten Jordan for hanging out. And I, I, I love what she said about velocity when it comes to staging your house. And I think in life, we try to optimize some things that don't necessarily need to be optimized. Where if, if we maybe OG got a little less out of this thing, we could optimize the stuff in our life that's really important. You know what I mean? Like get done with this maybe get it 90% correct, forget about getting every single dollar and instead increase the velocity in those transactions so we can optimize the ones that matter. I, I love that concept. You talk about the time value of money and we think about it in the context of like investing and like letting it sit and all that sort of stuff. But where does that come from? It comes from being able to get the money invested sooner. If you have the ability, you want to fund your Roth IRA in January, not in December. Why? Because it gives you extra time. It's the same thing with what she's talking about. The faster that you can move on with this, the less stress and anxiety and you know, like all the other stuff that goes with selling or, you know, in some cases buying houses, it's like you can move on to the next thing. You can use that energy for your next deal, your next strategy, your next work day. Like you don't have to, uh, you don't have to think about it anymore. It goes along really well with a point that, um, I just learned at, at a coaching session that I had about the 80% rule. And this is different. This is not the 80-20 rule. This is the rule that go in and just try to get 80% of it done. Get it directionally. Because if you go in with this mindset that you're going to get 80% of it done, A, you'll end up getting it all done. You'll avoid trying to be perfect, which is usually the death knell, right? You'll just get moving. And generally in our lives, it's getting out there and getting moving. That's so important. And, you know, you hear these concepts and they're not the same, but they certainly are parallel. I feel like this goes along with this 80% concept that 
that we've been learning about in, in my coaching sessions lately. Also, I want to talk about the importance of being nice in negotiations. I think everybody thinks that negotiation means you got to be this hard ass, right? You got to be this jerk. The importance of being somebody that other people like to work with. I thought that was, that was also fantastic. When you think of Kirsten Jordan, if you watch the first couple episodes of the show, OG, she's pretty hard edge, but she wouldn't get deals done if people didn't like working with her. I like how she put that in there when I wasn't around. It felt like a little dig. <laughs> you got <clears throat> to try to be nicer. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Being nice, obviously. Of course. Because that's, you know, me. I'm super nice. I'm a little scared to try Doug's brownies, I'll be honest. So I would say brownies, but I'm, I don't know. I don't think on National Baking Day, the brownies work the way Doug thinks they work. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I probably wouldn't uh, have some of those brownies and go do an insurance test uh, afterwards either. However, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency They've got here that it's your loved ones and your time. So some baked goods and being nice makes being with family and friends even that more fun. Their application is simple. It's all online. You get an instant life insurance, term life insurance coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, the policies are issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, that's more than 160 years old. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. That's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And uh, you'll see how quickly you can get this done, feel much better, and move on with it. Today, we're going to throw the lifeline out to our friend Elle. Say hi, Elle. Hi, this is Elle, and I have a question about my father's 401k. He is widowed and 75 and has approximately 700000 in his 401k with Vanguard. My financial planner is encouraging me to have my father turn that into an IRA. So upon his death, I could do a stretch IRA. I have a brother and we would be splitting this inheritance 50-50. I also am planning on being financially independent in five to 10 years. So I would not have my W-2 job. So it would be a tax savings if I could stretch it out and take that as income in those years without my W-2 income. My dad really does not want to move his 401k because he holds company stock in Cargill and he doesn't want to lose that. My financial planner says that this is a publicly traded company and he could still hold that stock in an IRA. What do you think? And are there any other reasons to convince my father to do this, such as any benefits that would be specifically for him of moving it to an IRA? Wow. Great question, Elle. Thanks so much for that question. Intergenerational financial planning, uh, interesting issue. And I understand the advisor, her advisor, getting involved in this issue. It affects it affects the advisor's client, his or her client, L. But on the other side, it's always touchy, man, when you get involved in child, parent, financial planning. I don't know any of the external circumstances, right? There's a lot of other questions that have to be answered around this. But the two things that I heard that really have a little bit of a creepy crawly feel that I'm just kind of, I just want to spend some time on is dad has to put the money in an IRA so we can stretch it out. Well, that's not true. The value of moving it into the IRA versus a 401k for stretch provisions, which really 
that's not even a thing anymore either. They got rid of the stretch provisions of the of inherited retirement accounts unless you're a spouse. Uh, now you have to have all of the accounts distributed within ten years anyway. That's what I thought. We had uh, we had Ed Slot on at the beginning of the year yeah. talking about that. Right. So first thing is a there's no such thing as a stretch IRA anymore. B uh, you can do what you want to do, which is basically defer it. That's what you're trying to do. You want to have some choice in the matter as it relates to how you take that that income out. Uh, but either way, it's got to be taken out within 10 years now. You don't have the the provisions to stretch it over your lifetime. And then the third thing that really got me concerned is dad saying he's got company stock in the plan. And if your advisor knows that there's company stock in the 401k and doesn't know how to handle that, as in there's very specific ways to take company stock into account in a 401k transaction, I thank the good Lord that you haven't moved your dad's 401k over to an IRA because there's some opportunity for some pretty profound tax savings, assuming some other things are true. So, and you know, rolling that money, to be clear, rolling that money to an IRA voids all of those tax savings, erases it forever, gone forever. You cannot get this fantastic tax savings. Yeah. So, thank God dad's being a little obstinate. You know, probably anyway. And if he's worked there a long time and he's got company stock in the plan, you know, and he's had it for a while, then this may be maybe an option for him. But you got to work with a pro who knows what they're talking about. So two things that got me a little concerned. Firstly, not knowing that there's no stretch. Maybe maybe that's just kind of a moot point. You know, you're like, I was going to plan to take money out anyway. But no stretch. You can do it from a 401k anyway. And then not having any sort of discussion about the fact that there's company stock in the plan. If you have company stock in your 401k and your advisor says, roll it to an IRA and doesn't say one word about the company stock, you are likely missing out on just tons and tons and tons of tax savings. And we don't want to be oblique about that. I think that OG is trying to not descend into nerd territory, but for the, for the Uber nerds out there that want to know how this works, look up net unrealized appreciation rules on company stock inside a 401k. You will find that it's complicated. You'll find that it, it has to be done precisely to the letter correctly. Yep. And if you can do that, bam, there's some, uh, there's some exciting advantages there to rolling it over to an IRA. Yeah. I mean, technically what happens is you don't, you take some of that stock distribution as a regular non-qualified account. But that's what I mean. There's a, yeah. th- there's an exciting other thing you can do versus rolling it to an IRA. Yeah, versus rolling it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this applies to L, but it also applies to everybody else. If you work at a company and you've got stock in your 401k and you've worked there a long time and every week for the last 30 years, you've been putting you know some portion of your 401k contribution into company stock and you sit down with your advisor and the advisor goes, good, Bill, you just retired. Let's move that over to Vanguard. And you start doing the paperwork. I would get up and walk out. It's that serious of a tax savings opportunity. But anyways, more, more to the point about what Al said, is it simpler to get money out of an IRA than a 401k? Eh. If dad passes away, eh. You know, and your dad's 75. He's going to live another 25 years anyway, probably. So there's a lot of time between now and dad hitting the proverbial mail truck. So um, <laughs> it's his money. He can do what he wants. Thanks, thanks for that question, Al. If If you've got a question for us, and we can save uh, your dad some serious money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. 
and we're very happy to help. And uh, mom's friend Gertrude is going to send you a code for the Stacking Benjamins Greatest Money Show on Earth Haven Lifeline t-shirt. Just my favorite t-shirt. In fact, I've got the mug version working today. Check that out, OG. Good stuff. Ah, Yes, indeed. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, we've got a few things on the docket. Thanks to everybody last Wednesday that uh, attended our book reveal. My co-author, Emily Guy Birkin, and I revealed the cover of our new book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. It comes out December 28th. Pre-orders are super important when it comes to book sales. So if you'd like to pre-order it, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacked. And uh, that helps other people find the book. We can together increase financial literacy, which is pretty important. We're also working on a launch team to help us launch this book. What does that mean? Well, we need people around the country as I'm committed to going to at least 27 cities. It started off as 25, then I thought of two more. And then I thought there might be three or four or five more. So I just stuck with 27. But if you can put together for us, maybe a space at a microbrewery or a uh, comedy club, if you can get us enough people there that we can maybe do a live show. Uh, OG and I have also talked about doing seven live shows across the country in support of the book early next year. We're putting all that together, plus people that know media, know other podcasters, know ways to get the word out about the book. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash launch team, and we'll let you know more as we start rolling out the stacked world tour. And Emily, by the way, had a great idea for you and I and her, uh, which is, I think for this tour, you know how we got those great tour t-shirts for our last tour, the three city tour t-shirts that Brad made? Yeah. This time she was talking about, we should get silk jackets with our names embroidered on the front. And then on the back, like stacked world tour, maybe some of the cities that we're going to like bowling jackets. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then we can walk down the street and look like twins. I'll let you and Emily do that. No, come on, come on. But thanks to everyone in this community who's helped us, uh, who's up for helping us get the word out about this book. Not often that we make a book, probably maybe the only one I'll ever make. But I sure like it. It was, it was fun to write. I think it's incredibly meaningful and uh, will be helpful for a lot of people. Thanks also to people who've left us a review of this show. These are other people helping get the word out. Uh, this is from Brainwash01. Pretty swell. Five stars. Brainwash says, <laughs> I love how we got the Brainwash people that are giving us five stars. So we're doing something right. My reviews are generally nonsensical, malarkitudinous gibberish, but I'll be partially serious this time. Joe and OG's guests present a lot of information, and what you do with it is your problem. If you learn something, then you got more than your money's worth. Five stars. Nice, nice job, Brainwash. Thanks so much for that. Mom's got that on the refrigerator, bragging about it with her vaccinated friends as she reinstates the bridge club. It's good to, good to see mom getting back together with some friends again. And last but not least, if you're somebody who, you know what? Listening to a podcast is a nice start. Reading a book's a nice start. Leaving your reviews is a nice start, but you really need better financial planning help in your corner. OG and his team are taking clients 
So to get help from him and his team, first step is to get on his calendar, schedule a meeting with the team, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right. That I think does it for today. You got it from here, Doug. What should we have learned today? (laughs) Okay, Joe. So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Just keep investing in good times and bad. And before you know it, you're going to be blown away by your portfolio balance. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Second, take a lesson from Kirsten Jordan. You know how they say to avoid a land war in Asia? Maybe the saying should actually be avoid a land war in NYC. Am I right? But the big lesson? (laughs) I'm appalled, stackers. When I said, let's get baked, I was talking literally baking, baking, not that kind of bacon, not like sparking up a big old, anyway, just baking, that's all I'm talking about, like, you know, you stir up the batter and you put it in the pan and you, in the oven, God, just say no kids, that's really what the message I'm trying to, just say no. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. If you enjoyed Kirsten Jordan and want to see more drama with the NYC real estate scene, then head over to Bravo and tune into their hit show, Million Dollar Listing New York. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Cheryl and I started watching a new show on Disney plus that looks pretty family friendly. We've watched the first three episodes now. So let's listen to the trailer. This is an unlikely story about a college basketball coach who ends up coaching a high school girls basketball team. Coaches here. They're expected to be role models. 
Do not screw this up. Coach Marvin Korn is going from the NCAA to some fancy high school? Personally, I think it's all a big mistake, but I'm prepared to make the best of it. Holly Barrett, assistant coach. Marvin Korn, any advice? These girls are going to lead the world someday. Fall in. Some of them can be a bit much. I'm sorry, are you chewing gum? This is Westbrook. We won't respond to my way or the highway. It's my job to help you improve. I'm going to teach you my system of basketball from the ground up. Smaller steps, but faster. My ball! Is the whistle really necessary? Yes, it really is. I figured it'd be rough, but this is next level. If we all just quit, they fire him. I think he wants to be a good person. When they said you were coming, that meant something. I was excited. All I care about is basketball. My dad, he sees me playing either at Stanford or UCLA. It's about making my father proud. After watching you play, I truly believe that we could do something special. But we're just getting started. Uh, this uh, is the story of an NCAA coach where they take a lot of a lot of stuff from the NCAA. Who, in the heat of the moment, OG picks up a chair and throws it at somebody. We've seen that happen before. That was mm-hmm. a big Bobby Knight moment, right? Yep. They pick John Stamos to be the coach, and they take that black hair of his and they slick it back, and he purses his lips a lot. In an attempt, when I showed Cheryl, she's like, they're clearly trying to make him look like something. In an attempt to make him look like another coach who has had his share of problems, Rick Patino. If you look at John Stamos, you look at John Stamos here uh, next to a picture of Rick Patino, you get the same thing. So because he has nowhere else to go, his agent tells him he has to go to this all girls prep high school where the principal is Yvette Nicole Brown. I saw her last in the show Community, where she was hilarious, and she is also hilarious here. This show is produced by David E. Kelly, who's done a ton of big shows, including The Practice, Boston Legal. David E. Kelly has done a bunch. So when I saw David E. Kelly, I thought this might be some good TV. It's on Disney Plus for a reason. This is very, very drippy, syrupy goodness in a bottle. Heartfelt moments, lots of, oh, we just need a hug moments. Girls growing up, man growing up, dealing with parents, parents dealing with kids, teachers dealing with each other, people dealing with insecurity, dealing with the feeling that they're not enough. Uh, There is a ton to like here for a family. I think if you're looking for the next hard edge, David E. Kelly gritty thing, you probably got the wrong show. Not quite uh, the practice or Boston legal. Maybe not. But if you want to gather the family around the TV and for 45 minutes to an hour, have a good time once a week. My kids are 25 and uh, Cheryl and I are really enjoying this, uh, this fairly, I think syrupy is a good word, fairly syrupy show. And I'm seeing on IMDb, it's getting a 6.8 out of 10. And for a show that feels a lot like a weekly Hallmark movie, I would say that's probably in the ballpark. Although based on the type of shows I like to watch, 
I'd call it a solid eight, but I get the 6.8. So thumb up from me, but your results may vary. Oh, gee, nothing blows up except the coach blows up at the students sometimes. I can get with that. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.